Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come now to this time of opening up your word, Lord, it is all about you. Try to make it about so many other things, Lord. But Lord, it's all about you. Salvation is by you and through you. And all of creation is aimed towards the day that we will be reconciled completely to you. Knowing the power of your resurrection fully. Know, Lord, how we look to that day. May we long for that day. But until then, O oh Lord, as we live this life, may your power be in us. Enabling us to live for you and glorify your name here in this world. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, looking at verses 10 and 11 this morning. This is all part of the paragraph there, uh, 3, 1 through 11. And we've been kind of working through that the last couple of weeks and uh, finish up that paragraph this morning with these last two verses here. As we have been working through the book of Philippians, you do recall that this book is about discovering joy. Paul want us, wants us to know how to discover true, lasting, everlasting joy. And so that's his aim throughout this book. He uses, he refers to rejoicing and joy over and over and over again. And so we, he wants us to know how to experience, how to know true, lasting joy in this life. And we've been looking at that, how we find joy in Christ and in Christ alone the past couple of weeks. And so we finish up this week. Rejoicing in resurrection power. Rejoicing in resurrection power as we look at verses 10 and 11. If you would stand with me then in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. I'll be reading 1 through 11 once again so we can kind of get the whole context of the paragraph. Finally, my brothers... Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, as we've been looking at this paragraph, Paul, as you recall, he has been talking about where we find true confidence. We don't find confidence in the flesh. As he is fighting the teaching of these uh, false teachers, these Judaizers who were coming in and, and they were declaring that it was all right, you, you could have Christ, Christ was a good, you need to have faith in Christ, but you need to add to that, you need to have Christ plus works of the law. And Paul says, look out for these dogs, look out for these evildoers, look out for these mutilators of the flesh. We, we have no confidence. There's no confidence that can be gained in works of the law. And he stresses that by showing his own life, it being a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, one who grew up in the Jewish faith with pious uh, parents who, who brought him up in the, the right ways to walk according to the law of God. And he, as he said, he was blameless according to the law. Even when he sinned, he made the proper sacrifices. He kept all of the ceremonies and all of those good things. Yet Paul says, I found no confidence in the flesh. I had no confidence in the flesh. In fact, in Romans, he, you recall, he, he told us that the law was not, it was not given for salvation. It's given to, to quicken the heart, to, to show us our sin and call us to account before God. That's what the purpose of the law is for. So there's no confidence can be gained in doing works of the law. We are not saved by works of the law. But we can find confidence in the righteousness of Christ. That's what we looked at last week. Last week we talked about the imputed righteousness of Christ, the righteousness from God. It's a, a gift of God's grace. It's not our own righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness that it belonged to Christ Christ did, lived in perfect obedience before God. Therefore, he is righteous. He has a right standing before the Father. Yet he went to the cross. He died on the cross for our sins. He took our sins. His, our sins were imputed to him, put to his account. And he died on the cross for our sins so that we might have his righteousness, his right standing before the, the Father imputed to us, added to our account so that we might be justified, declared right before God on that day of judgment 
When all of, the, all of the dead will be raised up and stand before God and have to give account before God, those who are in Christ, God will look down upon them. He will see not their own righteousness, but he will see the righteousness of Christ, and he will say, justified, justified, right in my sight, come into my dwelling place. Yet with all of those who are outside of Christ, who depended upon their own righteousness, righteousness that is sold with sin and rebellion, God will look down and say, condemned. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And so we've been looking at that doctrine of justification. That in the first part of this paragraph, Paul has been focusing on justification. How do we have a right standing before God? It is through, by faith alone, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No other way that we can have confidence before God except for through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So as we've been looking at that now, he's been talking about justification, how we stand right before God. But now at these, the closing of this paragraph, the last two sentences or the last two verses in this paragraph, he turns an eye towards sanctification, our growing in likeness of Christ, becoming holy even in this life as we walk in this life and even glorification, that day that Christ will return and we will be resurrected, we will be caught up uh, with Him, and we will become like Him, perfectly like Him. So in this life, we are being sanctified. God is working in our lives, working in the lives of the believers to make us more like Christ. But God's ultimate goal is that we will be completely like Christ, no longer able to sin, but live in perfect righteousness, even as Christ is perfectly righteousness. And that is that point of glorification. That's the end goal that God is working us toward as followers of Jesus Christ. And in the last two sentences, or the last two verses here, that's where Paul looks towards and he continues it on and we'll follow this in a couple of weeks when I return in the the rest of this paragraph he looks towards sanctification and glorification but that's that's where we look to this morning and and this is the result of receiving the imputed righteousness of Christ the result of receiving that imputed righteousness is to experience God's resurrection power even in our own lives. Now understand, we, we look towards the resurrection that will come, but what Paul is getting at in this verse is not only do we look towards the resurrection, we look to the day that God will raise up these bodies with power and we will become completely like him but Paul is saying in this this last few uh, last couple of verses is that that resurrection power is even beginning to take place even in this life so that when we come to faith in Christ we already began to experience 
the great, great power of God that raised Jesus up from the dead. Isn't that amazing? That's awesome. The power that raised Jesus up from the grave is working in the hearts of those who trust Him now in this life. We want to look to that power and understand that power this morning. So we look at that present power in our own lives this morning. Therefore, as we look at this verse, we may say this, you may, by grace, through faith, rejoice in the power of the resurrection that enables you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and go to Christ in the end. Let me say that again. By grace, through faith, rejoice in the power of the resurrection that enables you to know Christ Grow in Christ and go to Christ in the end. So let's begin to look at these last two verses then. And in these last two verses, we see this. The power of the resurrection enables us to, number one, know Christ. To know Christ. The power of the resurrection enables us to know Christ. Look at the, the first little part there of verse 10, that I may know him, all right? That I might count Christ as gain, that I might know his resurrection, might gain his, or excuse me, gain his righteousness. This works out that I may know him, know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The power of the resurrection enables us to know Christ. What does he mean there by enables us to know Christ, that I may know him? Is Paul just simply talking about so that I can gain more factual knowledge about Jesus? Well, of course not. Of course not. I mean, there's, there's, there's points in Scripture that that word for knowing does mean that. It, it means knowing more knowledge, gaining more knowledge. But that's not the knowledge that Paul is talking about here kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about here, that I may know Christ, is an intimate knowledge of Jesus. An intimate knowledge of Christ. An intimate relationship with Jesus. Knowing Him. Now, I know guys, you don't like to, to think about knowing another guy intimately. We don't like to talk about that. But, but think about it like this. It's to know Him deeply. To have a deep relationship with Christ. Someone that you trust and talk to. Share your troubles and worries with. Who wants to hear those? That's what we're talking about. To know Christ intimately is to have that kind of a deep heart-to-heart -heart relationship with Christ. With the Creator of the universe. The one who created all things. All things were created through Him and for Him. That guy, that's the one that we want to know. 
And Paul says, because of the righteousness of God, the righteousness from God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, this allows me, it allows me to know Christ that way, to have a deep, lasting relationship with Christ. And that's what, that's what salvation does. That's the whole purpose of Christ coming to earth and dying on the cross for our sins so that He might reconcile us to God. Sin had caused a break in man's relationship with God. You remember back in Genesis chapter 1, Adam and Eve, they or actually chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They had a relationship. God came down and He walked with them and talked with them. They communed with God one-on-one. They had a relationship with Him. But then when sin came into the world, that relationship was broken. Adam and Eve were no longer righteous. It sinned against their Creator. They rebelled against Him. And because of their rebellion, they were kicked out of the garden. God can't be around sin. God's holy. He can't be around sin. So Adam and Eve had to go. They had to go out of the garden. The relationship was broken. Yet from that moment, God began to work towards the day that He would send His Son to reconcile us to God, to mend that relationship through His righteousness. So that's what we receive when we receive the righteousness of Christ by God's grace through faith. We get to know Christ. To know Him intimately. To be reconciled to God, to be able to talk to God and walk with God and commune with God. And we look forward to the day that that is made complete. We can see Him face to face. The power of the resurrection enables us to know Christ in an intimate knowledge, an intimate relationship of Christ. And this is all done through the power of the resurrection. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. That is the same power that rose Jesus from the grave comes in and operates in our lives so that we might have that intimate knowledge, have that intimate relationship with Christ. And how is this done? Through regeneration. God works in us and He regenerates us. That means that we come to a regenerated life in Christ. We have a regenerated life in Christ. That is, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. The Holy Spirit, the one who who brought the power that rose Jesus from the grave, comes and comes to live in us. Romans 8, chapter 9, You, however... Paul says, talking to the church here, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, does not belong to Christ. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you can't belong to Christ. You can't have a relationship with Christ. The Spirit comes in and the Spirit uh, brings about the, the saving work of Christ in us. Right? Kind of hard to understand, isn't it? Here it is, the, God the Father willed that the Son would come and, and do the work. The Son came and did the work, but the Holy Spirit comes and He enables that. He empowers that. He brings it into force in our own lives. And it's the Holy Spirit that works in us, bringing us, uniting us with God, with Christ. And He does this through regeneration. He regenerates us. He brings new life in us. Acts chapter 1, 8, uh, Christ says to the apostles, but you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, it's the, the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in and transforms the heart of the believer, the life of the believer, gives new life through that power so that we can have a relationship with God, walk with God, do for God. John 3, 3, Jesus answers him, answers Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit that gives us spiritual eyes to see, to understand, to believe. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when you were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, that comes into us as we trust in Christ. By grace through faith, receiving His righteousness, the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to transform us, making us new in Christ so that we can commune with God and have life in God and with God. Paul says, I count all things as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, knowing Him and knowing His righteousness, that I may know Him, have a relationship with Him, and know the power of that resurrection working in my life. So the power of the resurrection enables us to know Christ. I was thinking about this, this that, that little, little section there, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. That uh, song, I don't, if you've listened to Christian music, the Christian radio, maybe you've heard this one, by Jeremy Camp. Uh, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to awake lives in us. That's what Paul's getting at. As we trust in Jesus Christ... We're not left alone, 
but God comes into us. The Holy Spirit comes into us, reuniting us with God so that we may know God, know Christ, be in relationship with Him, and that we may know the power of that resurrection working in our lives, transforming us, making us like Christ, sanctifying us. The power of the resurrection enables us to know Christ. Second, the power of the resurrection enables us to grow in Christ. To grow in Christ. Continuing on with this idea of sanctification. Notice the second little part of these two verses. And may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. That's a peculiar, peculiar little phrase, isn't it? Paul says, I have counted all things as lost because of the surpassing value, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, being found in, in Him, having His righteousness. And he says all, all of this to come down, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and to share His sufferings. To share His sufferings. What great value is it, Paul, of knowing sufferings? How is this valuable? How is this valuable to know the share in the sufferings of Christ and becoming like Christ in death? How is this valuable? I mean, we, you know you're asking that question when you read that little, little phrase. What does he mean? Well, as we think about this, first of all, I think what Paul is driving at here is that to grow in Christ is to become like Christ in obedience. Paul is driving at what he's getting at here is that he wants to become like Christ in Christ's obedience. That's why he says that. That I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him, like Christ, in his death. Now think about the whole book of the Philippians and, and where we've already seen how Christ died in Philippians. And Paul says, I want to be like that. I want to be like Christ in that way. Verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says that, and being found in human form, that is Christ being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Paul's not saying here, when he says, I want to become like Christ in his death, he's not saying, he can't say, that I want to become like him and be crucified. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Paul didn't, he, he wasn't crucified. He, he did come to a martyr's end. Uh, tradition says he, his, he was beheaded for the faith of Christ. But, you know, Paul, he was a Roman citizen. And so Roman law clarified or, or declared that no Roman citizen would ever be crucified. That was reserved for non-Romans. Paul was a Roman citizen. He could never be crucified under Roman law. So Paul can't here be saying that I want to be like Christ in his death by being crucified. That's not what he's saying. 
It's not even saying that he wants to be martyred. What he's saying is, I want to be obedient. I want to understand the obedience of Christ. Become like Him in His death. To be, to be so obedient to the will of God. that Whatever that brings, if it brings life or whether it brings death, whatever it brings, I want to be obedient to the will of God. Oh, may that be the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ, that you would want to be so obedient to the will of God that whatever God asks you to do, you would do it. No matter what it costs you, that you would be so obedient to God. We are to become like Christ in obedience. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Verses 15 through 17, Jesus says this to his, his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. you understand that condition? Jesus says, if you love me, if you truly love me, this is how you're going to show it. You're going to keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So understand what Jesus is saying there. If you love Me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he goes on to say, but here's the good news for you guys. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Because these disciples, as they're walking with Jesus and he's already been preaching and teaching, they come to understand that, that no one can truly keep the commandments like the law demands. No one can live in perfect obedience to the law's demand. And Jesus said, but here's the thing, guys. I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a helper. And he's going to help you on the way. He is going to help you. Live according to my commandments. Now we know throughout Scripture, throughout especially the New Testament, we read and we know that we never ever live in perfect obedience in this lifetime. But dear friend, if your heart doesn't long to live in obedience to God, if you don't mourn over your sin, when you stumble and fall, if that doesn't cause you sorrow, then you have to ask yourself, is the Spirit in me? Because Scripture tells us if the Spirit is in us, He gives us the desire to, to do the will of God. Do you long to do the will of God? Do you long to keep His commandments? Is that a goal in your life that you would live in obedience to God? If that's a longing, then that's evidence that the Spirit is in you, working in you to make you like Christ. And praise be to God, the longer you'll live, the better you'll get at doing the will of God. Yet always looking to that day when you'll be able to do it perfectly. 
to grow in Christ, to become like Christ in obedience. But it also means to, to share His sufferings. What does that mean? That I might know His sufferings. What's Paul talking about? What does he mean, share his sufferings? To share his sufferings, I believe, for godliness. Paul is getting at that he wants to share the sufferings of Christ for godliness. You see, because as we walk in this life in godliness, as we pursue the will of God, as we strive to carry out the will of God, what happens? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, Paul says in 2 Timothy, will be persecuted. Will be. Not might be, will be persecuted. As we live for God in this life, we will be persecuted. That means sharing in the sufferings for godliness as enemies of a fallen world. If we are in Christ and we are longing and striving to live in obedience to God's will, guess what? We are walking in enemy territory, caring about the commands of our king and not the king and the prince of this world. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the one who, who rules in this world, in this economy in which we live. He is an enemy of God. And if we are children of God, Longing to do the will of God, we are going to be at odds with everything that Satan stands for. And if we're striving to do the will of God, we are going to feel the pressure in this life. We will. Jesus again in, in John chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer, as Jesus is praying for His followers just before He goes to the cross, in uh, chapter 17, verses 14, 14 through uh, 17 here. I have given them your word. Jesus talking to the Father. I have given them your word. And the world, the world has hated them. Get that? I have given them your word, but the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not in the world just as I am not of the they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says, I've given them your word. Sanctify them in truth, your word. And what happens as a result of that sanctification, of becoming obedient to God? The world who is at odds with God hates us. We suffer as enemies of a fallen world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 11, Jesus preaching on the sermon, at the Sermon on the Mount, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, 
for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we share in the sufferings of Christ as enemies of a fallen world, but also as mourners over a fallen world. As mourners over a fallen world. It's not just the persecution that causes followers of Christ to suffer in this life. There's also a a suffering that comes from mourning over the condition of the world. Think about Jesus in the shortest verse in the Bible there in John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. If you you can't remember Scripture, you you can't remember, just just start there because you can remember that. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? This was at the tomb of Lazarus. Did he weep over the death of Lazarus? No, he didn't weep over the death of Lazarus because he was about to raise Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead. That's not why he wept. Why did Jesus weep? He wept over the fallen condition of this world. He wept over the sorrow that has been brought into this world by the fall. He wept over the condition of this fallen world. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 through 23. Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have, the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. As we look out into the world, as the Spirit works in us, and we begin to look at the condition of this world, as we see God who deserves all glory and honor disglorified. As we look at His name being brought low instead of exalted on high, it should cause us to mourn and weep for the condition of this fallen world. As we see sin building and building and building and the rebellion of this world raging more and more against God, it should cause us to weep and mourn over the fallen condition of this world. As you watch the news week after week, do you mourn? Do you weep and mourn for the lostness for all that the, the world is, is under due to the fall? Do you weep and mourn and do you long, do you groan for the day of Christ's return when all of the fallenness will be wiped away and all things will be made new? Are you sharing in the sufferings of Christ as enemies of the world and as mourners over this fallen world? If you are, that's 
Evidence, beautiful evidence that the Spirit is at work in your lives. Making you more like Christ. I need to note here as we we think about that, the Christian life is not a life of, of ease. The health and wealth preachers out there, they don't go to this verse. <laughs> they skip over this verse. They kind of black it out of their Bible. They don't want to see this verse. You'll, you'll never see those guys quote this verse. Because the Christian life in this life is not ease and comfort. It's a life of suffering. It will always be a life of suffering until sin is no more. Until death is no more. Until illness is no more. Our lives as followers of Jesus Christ will be a life of suffering. At times, sometimes greater than others. Yes, we experience joy and laughter in this life. Praise God. As followers of Jesus Christ in a fallen world, our lives as His disciples will be marked by suffering. And we will long for, long for, groan for the day of His return. God doesn't want us to get too comfortable here. He doesn't want us to get too comfortable here. He wants us to look to that day and long for that day. Oh, I pray you long for the day. I pray that your life is growing in Christ, growing in Christ's likeness, longing for the day of His return. So the power of the resurrection enables us to know Christ, to grow in Christ, and finally to go to Christ in the end. To go to Christ in the end. This is the power, this this. The power provides the means to attain the resurrection. Look at what he says there. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That by any means, what does he mean by means? What means brings us to the resurrection of the dead? Here we see the power, the power of the Holy Spirit provides the means to attain the resurrection. Paul's not backtracking here. He's not saying that there's there's means, there's other means out there, there's Christ plus something else to get us there. But what he's saying is the means comes from the power of the Holy Spirit through justification and through sanctification. Through justification and sanctification. The Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and He provides the means. He enables the means. He, He makes effectual the means by which we attain the resurrection. He brings justification. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in and effectuates salvation. God the Father willed. 
God the Son came and accomplished, the Holy Spirit effectuates the justification. He is the one who brings the righteousness and puts it on us, if you will. It's that power that brings salvation and makes it a reality in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit who comes and effectuates justification and He effectuates sanctification. It's He who works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You remember that? God who works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to change our want to, enabling us to do the will. Romans 8, Romans 8 verses 9 through 10, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit brings the righteousness. The Spirit is life. He brings life. He brings the righteousness. He, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Paul there in Romans 8 is not referring to the final resurrection there. What he is talking about, that the Spirit will give life to your mortal bodies. He will give life to this body so that this body... This body can do the work of God. God working in us to will and to work for His good pleasure. Those are the means that we get to the resurrection. To glorification, if you will. That final end. You see, if you, to get to the end, to get to glorification, to get to the resurrection, to new life, eternal life, there must be justification. We must stand just before God. We must have the righteousness of Christ added to us by God's grace through faith. We must have justification. But you see, a lot of people, they don't want to think about the sanctification part. Well, if I just have, if I just believe, if I say uh-huh to, to, to the right questions, if I just have some head knowledge about Jesus, then I'm, I'm justified, right? Who cares about the evidence? I can just live my life however I want to live my life, and all is good because I said uh-huh to the pastor when he asked certain questions. No, there has to be justification, and there also has to be the sanctification. There has to be that work of the Spirit working in our lives to make us like Christ even in this life. If there's no sanctification, what evidence do you have of your salvation? What evidence do you have of justification? There is none. 
If the Spirit is not in you, working in you, dear friend, you're not saved. This is not, again, this is not works-based salvation. I'm not saying that you have to have works to be saved, but the works is evidence of the Spirit working salvation in you. If you don't have the evidence of the Spirit's work in you, what evidence, what proof do you have of your salvation in Christ Jesus? If you can sit here and say, well, I said uh-huh to those questions in VBS years and years ago, there's been nothing else changed in my life, but oh well, I said uh-huh then, so I'm good now. If you can live your life Continue living your life in utter rebellion against God. You're not saved. Let me say that again. If you continue to live your life in utter rebellion against God, I don't care who you are in this church. I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care how many years your name has been on this row or any other row. If you continue to live in utter rebellion against God and you are just content in doing so, you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Spirit is not at work in you. You need to repent and trust in Jesus. And receive the power of Christ in you to change you and transform you. God has determined the means of our salvation through justification by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, and even through sanctification, leading us to that ultimate end of glorification. If you don't have evidence of justification, if you don't have the evidence of sanctification, then what evidence do you have you're going to reach glorification? The power of the Holy Spirit provides, and I might even say accomplishes, the means to attain the resurrection And finally, the power of the Holy Spirit produces the result of the resurrection, that is, glorification. The Holy Spirit produces the result of the resurrection, that is, the final glorification, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection to new eternal life, a transformed, completely transformed life. Now Paul is looking to the end when Christ will return. And these old bodies marred by sin will be raised up. And we will join Christ in the air and we will become like Him because we will see Him as He is. And it will be that power of the Holy Spirit that in that instant, Changes this mortal body to be like his eternal body, his glorified body.
That is what we live for. That's what we long for. Oh, the day that all the aches and pains of this life will be gone. Oh, the day that all the sin of this life and this mortal body will be wiped out. Oh, the day that all creation will be made new. Be made perfect. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, that resurrection power that enables us to know Christ, to grow in Christ, and to go to Christ in the end. Let me ask you, dear friend, are you experiencing the power of the resurrection in your own life? Are you experiencing the power of the resurrection? Are, are you experiencing the, the operation of the Holy Spirit in your own life, transforming you, making you more and more like Christ? Not in perfection. We're not there yet. But are you experiencing that power? Do you see Him working in your life? If not, I beg you. I beg you. Paul says, you know, you know, there's nothing to do. Just turn to Christ. Trust in Christ. It's not by works of the law. It's trusting in Christ. It's in Him and Him alone that we have confidence. In Him and Him alone we have life. Are you trusting in Him? If not, Trust Him today. Give your life over to Him today. And know the power is resurrection working in your life. Oh, Heavenly Father. Oh, dear God. As we look at this fallen world, oh, Lord, we long for the day we long for the day of Your return, O oh Lord. That day when You will make all things new. You will make us new. Completely new. O oh Lord, how we as followers of Christ long to, to be rid of this sinful flesh. Be able to live in perfect obedience to Your will. Oh, Father, I pray if there are those here today that don't know Christ and the power of His resurrection, oh God, would You do a work in them this morning? Change them. Make them new. Let them know the power of the resurrection power your salvation in Christ's name amen you are here this morning maybe that is you maybe you have been you've, you said aha uh -huh before 
You came down as a, a child and, and, and you made a profession, but, but it wasn't in your heart. You, you said, uh-huh, to some head knowledge, but you weren't transformed in your heart. But today, the Spirit has convicted you. Today, you turn to Christ. You want to come and make that public. I invite you to come. Or maybe you've got questions. I invite you to come. Come, we sing. On to God's Word this morning.